Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good, good. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And while you are doing so, please join your hearts with me as we pray. I want to offer this time back to our God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the gathering of your saints. And Lord, we welcome you here. We recognize that we don't invoke you because you are present. You are, you are within us, those who have named you Lord. But we recognize your presence here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way with your people today. That each of the hearts that are represented here this morning will have already been in preparation by your spirit to receive what it is you have for them. Lord God, please use me as your vessel. Get me out of the way and simply use my voice box to speak into the hearts of your people. Bring transformation to your church. Bring transformation to us as your body. And we will be an army of men and women and children that are careful to give you praise for all that you bring about. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys, I am honored to be able to share a bit of what God has been working in my heart with you this morning. Um, those who, who know me know that anytime I get to talk with people, David is going to come up somehow. And so we're going to look into the character of David this morning. And when you think of David, two stories typically come to our minds. David and Goliath, okay, and David and what, we, we heard a different one in there. Bathsheba, a lot of times the stories that come out. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to go past those stories into another confrontation that David has with the prophet Nathan. But I think it serves us well to at least set the stage. A great preacher in my life said, a text with no context is no text at all. And so I want to at least give the context for you on what we're moving into when we look in, for, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So David has seen fit to remain, we see in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, to remain in Jerusalem. The text says that it is the season, it is the time of the year when kings go out to battle, when they go out to war. And yet we find David as king over Israel remaining back in Jerusalem. He's not out in the battlefield. And there have been multiple decisions that have come along the way to bring that, that decision as a possibility for him. Because David, we can read his conquest all over the place, has incredible victories. God has brought awesome victories for him in the battlefield. And yet he realizes, or he comes to a point in his life where he says, I'm just going to be comfortable for a while. I'm going to stay out of the battlefield. I'm going to stay off of, of the conquest, and I'm going to remain back in a place of comfort. And it's in that place of comfort where decision after decision after decision come about, where before long, we see that David takes his best friend's wife, has his best friend killed, she is pregnant, and the decline of his kingdom begins. Now to think that David woke up that morning and said, ah, I've got a great idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy my kingdom. I'm going to kill my best friend. I'm going to take his wife as my... There's no way he woke up that morning saying that this would be the turn of events. But yet, a thousand different decisions got him to the point where that was a plausible option for him as he went forward. So Uriah has died. 
we have David taking Bathsheba as his own, and it seems as though all is well until God taps on the shoulder of his prophet Nathan and, and brings Nathan into David's palace, into his court, and has a word for him. Nathan tells a story about a, um, a rich ruler who has multiple flocks, many sheep, and a one poor man that had but one ewe. And, and in the story, the rich man takes that one ewe from the poor man. David is enraged. You see something come up within him and say, this man deserves to die. And Nathan turns around in the power of God and says, David, you are that man. David's response is a beautiful picture of why he's called a man after God's own heart. He repents. He says, yes, guilty as charged. The thing that's also beautiful about the God of the Old Testament and the God that we experience today is that upon the repentance of David's heart, forgiveness was immediate. There was no delay. He was a forgiven man before his God. And the same thing is for us. When we turn our hearts towards the Spirit of God, when we turn our hearts to this Jesus as King, forgiveness is immediate. What's interesting, and you guys have experienced this as well, is that when David, even though forgiveness was immediate, consequences still unfolded in his life. There was still consequence to the multiple decisions that were made in route to the scenario that we find ourselves in. That's the stage. That's what's happened. That's what's going on in David's life right now. Nathan is just leaving the court, and that's where we pick up in 2 Samuel Verse, uh, verse 15. Part of Nathan's consequence that God brings through him is that David will lose their son. The son that, that David and Bathsheba have conceived together will be lost. Verse 15, it says, And the Lord afflicted that, that the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. I'm going to camp here for a few moments. You have incredible adversity in your life. You have experienced affliction. You have had the, the, the grieving of loss come to your life. All of us have exper experienced it on multiple degrees. And yet we see here that David gives us a, a study, a character to study, a way to navigate through adversity with his actions. What's he do? He sought the Lord. The, the position that we have here, and, and actually the text speaks to it, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. David sees fit when the adversity comes, when the consequence comes to his life, when the loss is experienced, he positions himself here. He comes underneath the hand of his God. He comes underneath the sovereign hand of his God. It says that he bowed down, he laid down, on the floor. He put himself in a submissive posture before his God. Now remember, God has already declared what will take place through the prophet Nathan. David knows this, and yet he still seeks God. We're the same way. There will be times when God's will is laid out before us when we say, ah, I don't like that plan. That doesn't seem very good to me. And we will beseech the Lord. We will seek him and say, please, 
Father, is there another way? Is there another way that your will can be fulfilled? And we posture ourselves in a place of, not my will, but yours be done. The thing that's interesting about David is that he remains in this position for seven days. Think of your own life. Think of the adversity that you come across. Think of the things that hit your heart. When I am uncomfortable, the very thing that I want is comfort. I don't want to stay uncomfortable. I love that the narrator gives us in the text, David laid on the ground. Have you laid on the ground? It's not a comfortable place to be. And yet David, David chose this position to say, I will remain here. I will stay in this uncomfortable position until you see fit to relieve. Do you see the beautiful element of, of actually worship that David does in the midst of grieving? The worship that he does in beseeching the Lord, seeking his face. If there's another way, Lord, would you see fit? He positions himself like this. Grief is a process that, that we get to watch David. We have a front row seat to see how he does this and how he does it well. And the first thing that he does that I want you to grasp when you're walking through grief, when you're walking through difficult situations, is he seeks the Lord. Same encouragement, the same challenge, the same, same challenge for us 3,000 years later. Verse 16, And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Verse 17, And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, the child passed away. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do his, some, himself some harm. David had people around him that said, come on, get up. It's time to eat. We, we need to be done with this. Let's go, David. You're king. And David put himself under submission of a greater audience. He put himself under the submission of his God. Where those around were saying, it's time to go. Let's get up and move. He said, no, God has me in this position. He has me in this waiting place. He has me in the in-between time. So I will trust his faithfulness. The same will happen to you. You will have opportunities and times where God says, stay, remain, trust me. And everybody around will say, go, 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 it's time, we've got to move. Listen to the still small voice that says, stay, wait. Let me finish my work in you until the appointed time. David stays in this state for seven days. There's a beautiful picture of endurance. There's a beautiful picture of perseverance. There's a beautiful picture of trusting the sovereign hand of God in his life. The text continues in verse 19, but when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child had died. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he is. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. This is a beautiful picture for us 3,000 years later when we find ourselves in adversity. When you are in difficult circumstances, is the knee-jerk reaction to your heart to worship? Mine is not. 
That's not my go-to. That's not what I run to is that, you know what? This has been a terrible day. I'm going to worship. <laughs> David has the exact same thing happening in his life. But yet, what do you see him do? He arose up off the earth. He got himself up. He told his heart what to do. David didn't follow his heart in this situation. He led his heart to worship. We are called to the same. When we are walking through trial, when we're walking through adversity, we are called to tell our heart where to place its affections. We aren't to be a people that just follow your heart, do whatever your heart, no, no, no. We have to tell our heart where to go. The thing that's interesting with this, when you look at the text, the, the scripture doesn't say to it, but I doubt that the day that this happened when David told his heart to go to worship was Sunday. It wasn't that, okay, it's church day. I better get up, get my cha change of clothes on, and show up and worship. Worship happens in the middle of the trial. You don't wait till we come here. You don't wait till we come here collectively. as a. Now, this should be an absolute celebration together as the body of Christ. But worship should continue throughout the week. Worship should continue every day. And you will have to tell your heart often to lead to worship. It's interesting, the word worship in the original language means to bow down. Look at the similarity, folks. The same position that he brought himself in grief is the same place that God meets him in worship. The same God that was right in the middle of the difficult circumstances meets him right in the place of worship when he bows down and offers worship to his God. The same God is present in both. Be encouraged by that this morning. I love that David cleans himself up. He said, I, I have to show outwardly what's, what I'm telling my heart to do inwardly. I, I have to have a reflection where I'm going to go ahead and get cleaned up. I'm going to anoint my head with oil. I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to worship. A same position that we, again, 3,000 years later, are called to. Recognize that this process of grief is still happening through worship. It's not like it stopped back here. It's continuing on as he tells his heart to go to worship. Same thing for us today, 3,000 years later. Verse 22, he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me? In worship, David again places himself in submission to the Lord's perfect will in his life. That's where he positions his heart. That's where he positions himself physically, is that your will be done, not mine. He trusts God's sovereign hand. Verse 24, <clears throat> Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. This is the first time that we see in the text that Bathsheba is called David's wife. Okay, Before it's Uriah's wife. So we've had a transition. We have a change to where now Bathsheba is David's wife. And that word comforted is an awesome word. It means to console. It means to bring comfort to someone who is in loss. 
but it also has incredible nuances of repentance. So the text could read for you, David repented to his wife Bathsheba. See, see the process that David is laying out for us and the narrator and, and, and underneath God's inspiration brings to us is that there's a time to grieve. There's a time to walk through adversity and there's a time to worship. There's a time where we tell our hearts to move towards worship, but there's also a time of repentance. David made things right with his God, but he also had to bring repentance before his wife. When I was thinking through this and I was praying for you as a church, God is faithful to bring my names to my mind. And so as I was praying for you, and I kind of knew who was going to be in the second service, there were five names that God brought to my mind of men and women that need to repent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read them for you. And then if you're here, I'll have you stand up, okay? And, and we'll see. We, are we okay with that? I'm not going to do it. Maybe we should. <laughs> but <clears throat> if the Lord brought a tinge in your heart right then, if your mind said, oh my gosh, is Mike going to call my name out? There may be work that the Spirit wants to do in you through repentance. Don't miss this. Submit yourself to that. One of the greatest acts of love that we can do in relationship is repentance. It restores. It brings back together. And David recognizes, I need to repent before my wife for what took place. One of the most uh, incredible experiences I've had as a father is to repent to one of my daughters that I sinned against and had the responsibility to come before them and say, your daddy has sinned against you. Would you forgive me? And it was a beautiful moment of worship a beautiful moment of restoration, a beautiful moment from a father to a child, how much more so for us as the body of Christ. If the Spirit of God tinged your heart when I said I was going to declare some names, do the work necessary. Choose obedience to make right that which was made wrong. This idea of to comfort means to relent, to repent, to be grieved, and like I said, repentance. David repented to God first and then to Bathsheba. The process of grief is established through loving those in your sphere of influence. The text goes on to say that, and he went, in verse 24, and David went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Solomon means peace. Look at the process, folks. Grieve, yes. Walk through the grieve of adversity. Walk through the grieve of loss. Walk through the adversity that is in place. Yes, do that. Tell your heart to worship. Make sure that you are directing your heart's affections to the worship of the one true king. And then thirdly, love those in your sphere of influence part of the beautiful picture of love is repentance. 
repent in the relationships that need to come about. And what is the result when we do that when we do this and we're faithful to this? Peace comes about. Peace is experienced. Another part of Solomon's name says it is well. So the idea is it is well with my soul. It is it is well-being. You guys, 3,000 years later, the process is the same. When we walk through that individually, when we walk through that collectively, we can, as a people, as a body, as the bride of Christ, say, it is well. It is well. I love that the text goes on to say, in verse 25, or the end of verse 24, and the Lord loved him, And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. So you see the full circle that God has given us in the narrative text through the character of David of these type of necessary steps to take for the sake of peace to come, well-being to be there. Now it would be one thing to end the story there. It would be one thing to say, okay, peace has come to the country, Peace has come to the land. We can now sit back and be comfortable. Oh, that should tinge something in our mind again. Remember back in chapter 11? Remember where David was being comfortable? The time, when, the time of season when the kings went out to war, David remained back in Jerusalem. He chose comfort apart from the next, instead of the next part that we're looking at. So it doesn't remain there. It's not the end of the story because... There is a battle that's raging. There is a necessary position and a place that each of you, man, woman, and child, have on the battlefield. You have a role to be fulfilled in the battlefield. And for us to remain into a place of comfort and say, I'm not going to go into that battle. I'm not going to go into that ground. I'm not going to engage the enemy on that place it short-circuits the process of of sanctification that God wants to do in us. See, we are not meant to just come and consume. We are meant to be the called-out ones who make much of the name of Jesus in the world and the sphere of influence we find ourselves. That's what we're called to. That's the battlefield that we're called to. You see in verse 26, Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites, And took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. This is a a town by the Ammonites that had been defeated earlier. Thanks, Nick. They rose back up. They, They brought another resistance against the people of Israel. And it's in that moment when David, that was the battle that he was called to go to. He was called to go to the battle of Ramah. Rabbah. Instead, he remained back in the palace. So look what happens here, folks. David returns back to the battlefield that he never should have left. He returns back to the, to the battle that he was called to as king of this nation. He returns back to it after the grieving process, after worship, and after love have their take, he goes back to battle. My question would be, what battlefield have you abandoned? 
What battlefield have you stepped off of that God says, no, your place is to be in the battle? Now, don't hear, I'm not here to, to raise up war. What I'm here to say is that there's an enemy out there that's against us because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. And if we step off of that battlefield, whether it be in our home, our workplace, in the world sphere that we find ourselves, we are one less soldier on the battlefield that needs to be in place. You are not replaceable in the battlefield that God has called you to. This is not just for men, but men, I want to talk to you for a moment. There are different battlefields that God has called you to in your home. There's different battlefields that God has called you to in your workplace. There's different battlefields that God has called you to to protect your wife, to your kids, those in your sphere of influence. By the power that anointed David 3,000 years ago, step up to the battlefield to protect those who are in your care. Throw your shield down in front of those who God has put in your care. We need you. God is calling you forward to be a part of that battle. Ladies, guess what? Same charges for you. Your battlefield may look different. Your battlefield may have a different cadence to it. But you are still called out to, to rise up and take your place on the battlefield and allow the power of God through you to be a threat to the enemy. No longer are we going to be a people of defensive posture, but rather offensive. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So you see what David does. Again, you look at the text. Verse 29. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Because David was faithful to walk through the process as Yahweh God prescribed for him, incredible victory was his. Victory in the battlefield was his because he was doing it in the power of this Yahweh God. Folks, we have the same beautiful privilege today. We have adversity. We have loss. We have things that come through our lives that we are called most definitely to grieve through. And the Lord will meet you in that place. We are also called, as we are going and moving through that, to be a people of worship, not just a Sunday morning, but rather that we position ourselves in worship every moment of every day that we come through. And not only worship, but we are called to love. And one of the best ways that we can love those in our sphere of influence is to make sure our repentance is up to date. I see God work through repentant, broken people in fantastic ways. You are those people. Lastly, we see that we're called back to battle. We are called to engage as the Lord sees fit. We are called to, here I am, Father, use me. Use me as you see fit 
to accomplish your work on earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer for you, Rimrock. That's my prayer is that you will, as you navigate these things, you will walk through those four stages together. There may be some specific parts of that that you're skipping. I pray that the Lord would direct you back into and allow that submission underneath the sovereign hand of God to have his full work to where we're a people that say, not my will, but yours be done, and I will worship you in the meantime. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness of your word. Lord, I pray that if there are things, there's work that needs to be done that you are prompting us as your kids to do, that you would empower us to do so. That we would not wait, we would not hesitate, but rather in fullness see this come to pass. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here. We thank you for the work that you've begun and thank you that you will bring it to perfect completion. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.